Please take your Bibles with me this evening and turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. It's a very familiar passage as it relates to women. Perhaps you've heard the phrase before, I'm sure many of you have, the Proverbs 31 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman. Really, as uh, Christianity is concerned, Proverbs 31 is almost seen as the treatise of what a woman ought to be or what a woman could be or um, that which a woman should aspire unto. And I would agree. Proverbs 31 is a very special passage of Scripture as it relates to women. This morning we spoke to mothers. I was talking to my wife after the service and I said, I feel kind of bad. And uh, perhaps this is, this is more indicative of, of me than it is of anyone else. But I said, you know, last week I gave the men something to really chew on. I said, I feel like I was just preaching to the choir this morning. The things that the women, particularly in this church, were all, 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 uh, actually doing very well already. And certainly I don't just preach to the women here. We're, we're, on, uh, we're recorded and we're on the internet and there are several people, I'm sure, um, if, if our download numbers are anything to, to uh, any indication, then there are other people that listen to these messages. And yet at the same time, I thought, well, I, I, I don't know if I gave the mothers as much to chew on as I gave, say, fathers. My, my wife turned to me and she said, but you know, maybe that's not such a bad thing. In this culture, mothers don't get a lot of affirmation when they do what you do. As a matter of fact, most of the time in this culture, when mothers do what you do, which is devote yourselves to your family, um, you face scorn and ridicule at, or perhaps just scoffing. So she said, if nothing else, maybe it could have just been an encouragement to the ladies in this room that the things that you heard are things that you have already determined at least to one degree or another to do. And so you had the opportunity to listen and to say, wait a minute, what the Bible says is what I'm doing. And maybe that was able to be an encouragement to you if it wasn't something that really convicted your heart. So my wife encouraged me in that this morning. And this evening, I, I hope that in large part, it's going to be that way again. This is going to become a two-part message. I was reviewing it yesterday. I wrote it several weeks ago. And I realized that it was too long for one message. And uh, as the Lord was working things out, as it turns out, it will work very, very well for this to become a two-part message. So ladies, the first part is going to be this evening. The next part will be next Sunday evening. So you'll get the first part this evening, the next part next Sunday evening, a two-part message on the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's intended to be directed in this regard toward you as wives. So this morning we focused in on you as mothers. This evening it will be for you as wives. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Proverbs 31 is one of those wisdom writings, and specifically verses 10 through 31 is what we're going to focus in on this evening, and it's actually an acrostic. 
It's an acrostic written with the intent of memorization. I don't think there was anyone in this room that was here for my Psalm 119 series. But if you ever turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119 and you look at Psalm 119, you'll find that it's broken up into chunks, 22 chunks in fact, of 8 verses. And those 22 chunks of 8 verses are each um, heading, each one has a heading with the Hebrew alphabet. Alpha, uh, Aleph and Beth and Gimel and Dalet. And that is the construction of Psalm 119. And it's constructed that way as an acrostic for memorization purposes. Well, it's the same with Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. It's an acrostic. And what you'll find, if you were ever to look at it in the Hebrew, is that the first letter of verse 10 begins with an Aleph. The first letter of verse 11 begins with a Beit. The first letter of verse 12 begins with a Gimel. And down through the Hebrew alphabet. And so, it would be as if somebody was writing a poem today and they had 26 lines in the poem and each line started with the next letter of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. That's what they did here in the Hebrew with the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And it starts with the first letter, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way through the 22 letters. 22 verses, 22 letters. That is how this is constructed. And when you see this in the Hebrew, you know one thing for certain, that it's meant to be memorized. If they wrote it in acrostic form, they did it so that it would be easy to memorize. Have you ever tried to memorize a list? When I was in college, we had to do a lot of list memorization. Had to memorize... Um, the 12 sons of Jacob. You had to memorize um, all of the kings of the southern and northern kingdoms of Israel and Judah in the right order. And sometimes we would create acrostics to remember them. Or if you've ever had to memorize, perhaps in school, the planets in their proper order. And so you took the first letter of each planet's name and you made a silly little phrase out of it or a silly little saying to help you remember. I can't even think of any right now because I never did those things. Um, but a lot of people do. Well, that's what they were doing here in Proverbs 31. They made an acrostic that would help people memorize verses 10 through 31. And so the next question is this. Who did they want to memorize Proverbs 31, 10 through 31? It's a rhetorical question, but take a minute to think about that. Who do you think was the target audience of memorization for Proverbs 31, 10 through 31? Perhaps you would think young girls, what they ought to be. You'd be wrong. Perhaps you'd think wives, right? What they ought to be on a daily basis. You'd be wrong. In fact, it was intended to be memorized by men. In fact, the chunk here, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, in Jewish culture was recited by husbands and children before the Friday Sabbath meal every week. And so, this was not actually written to women it was written by a woman to a young man. 
And it's not intended to present an unattainable wife. It's intended rather to present an ideal wife. It's meant to highlight the characteristics, we would say the virtues, that are praiseworthy in the eyes of God. It is these characteristics that we're going to consider this week and then into next week. So if you would look with me in Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10, the beginning of this acrostic, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The question, the first question asked is this, wives, who can find a virtuous woman? Proverbs begins by asking this question. And again, it's not meant to say that a virtuous woman cannot be found, but rather it's supposed to be an introspective question. In some ways, I would liken it to what we might say the framers did in a part of the Declaration of Independence. In the Declaration of Independence, the framers wrote these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, as the framers spoke of these three particular rights, one of those rights is the pursuit of happiness. This was an ideal, not necessarily a guarantee. The framers desired that the pursuit of happiness would be a guarantee, but not necessarily that attainable happiness would always be found. It was palatable, it was possible, but there were things that could hinder it. In much the same way, the ideal of the virtuous woman, that which we're going to see in verses 10 through 31, is absolutely attainable by you, wives. It's absolutely attainable. But it isn't guaranteed. It's not just that because you're a Christian wife, you are these things. These things take work, effort, determination, the help of the Lord. But it's presenting them this evening for you to aspire unto. It's also worth bringing to our attention as we rest here on this first phrase, this word, virtuous. In the Hebrew, it's the word, hayil. And as I was studying, this was very interesting to me. Hayil is a word you might be familiar with in Scripture. It's a word that's often translated in our King James, mighty. And it was quite regularly applied to men. You recall David had a band of men that wandered with him and they were called his mighty men. These were men that were mighty because they were strong on the battlefield, because they were courageous. And that word mighty there is hayil. You recall Boaz was called in the book of Ruth a mighty man of wealth. Here was a man who was not necessarily great on the battlefield, but he was a wealthy man. And this mighty man of wealth, he was a gibor, which is man, gibor hayil. He was a mighty man of wealth. Gideon. When the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon, 
the angel of the Lord said, called Gideon a mighty man of valor, a gibor, chayil. And so, in this passage, we don't have a gibor chayil, a mighty man of valor. We have an isha chayil, a woman of valor, a virtuous woman. What a description. As the Lord uses the same word to describe the woman that we will see in these next verses, as He used to describe David and David's mighty men and Boaz and Gideon, that same word for valor, that same word for strength, that same word for virtue. This is not a demeaning chapter of Scripture. This is not a chapter of Scripture that's going to tell women that they're weak and incapable. This is a chapter of Scripture that shows what a woman can be when tempered by the Word of God and by a love for the Lord. So let's continue to dig in. Verse 10, and you'll notice as we go through each one, you'll see the Hebrew letter of the alphabet next to the verse. Aleph, verse 10. We've, read the, we've talked about the first part. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The verse goes on to say that if you do find one of these virtuous women, these Isha Chayil, hang on to her because her price is far above the price of rubies. This is not a chauvinistic statement implying that the wife is a slave to be bought or sold for a price or that she's a possession. Rather... The concept is rightly understood to mean that her value, the value of this kind of a woman to a man and his family is beyond price. That to find a woman of virtue, to find a Proverbs 31 woman, excuse me, is to find something priceless. You couldn't replace her with money. You couldn't replace her with possessions. She is priceless. And so ladies... As we jump into this, this is your goal. Men, this is your desire. Wives, this is your ideal. This is your ideal. Verse 11. The first characteristic of the Proverbs 31 woman is that the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. The idea is that the man is busy with the pursuits and responsibilities of his profession. Nowhere does the text imply anything about the character and honor of the man himself, and we need not read anything about the man into the text. Regardless of what the husband is doing, while he is out, he knows he can rest upon the one whom he loves, so that as he pursues his vocation... He can trust his wife to keep the household running smoothly through prudent management and through careful attention. She is a woman whom her husband can trust. Trust. And that's the key word as we look into this verse this evening. Trust. That concept implied in the text is that the man as he goes to war 
has no need of spoils, the second half of that verse says, so that he has no need of spoil. He has no need. He does not feel like when he comes back from war, he has to bring a bunch of spoil with him. That's how war had been done back in the day. So the concept is the man goes to war and he leaves his wife and children behind. And as the man is walking away from his home, he's not worried, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to have to do when I get back? What's my wife going to break that I'm going to have to fix? What's going to be going wrong that I'm going to have to take care of? Are we going to be impoverished? And so when he's on the battlefield, the only thing he can think about is, how can, I, how can I get enough spoils from this battle to come home to replace that which I know my wife has lost? Instead, the Proverbs 31 woman is a, is a woman like this. The husband is going out to battle. And as he walks away, there's complete confidence in his heart that when he comes back, not only will his wife have been prudent with what they own, but she will have multiplied his possessions. That she will have wisely invested his capital so that he's going to come back to more than, when he, than what he had when he left. So that as he's out on the battlefield, he doesn't have to worry about how much spoil he gets because he knows he's got a wife back home he can trust. He knows he has a wife back home who is taking care of things while he's away. Who's making sure that things get done. Who's making sure the flock is tended. Who's making sure the fields are taken care of. Who's making sure the house is in order so that he can come back and see that his investments are still bearing fruit as he designed them to bear. That is the idea of the heart of the husband that can safely trust in his wife. The, the husband that can leave his house and know that it's in good hands. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The trust of the husband rests not just in the abilities of the wife, but in the character of the wife. That she is set upon doing her husband good all the days of her life. She is tirelessly loyal to the best interest of her husband. Literally, he is her life. Concept very similar to the concept we saw in Titus chapter 2 this morning. That the lifeblood of the virtuous woman is resting in her family. Is resting in her husband. She is one who is a lover of her husband. She is one who is a lover of her family. That is this Isha Hayil. That is this Proverbs 31 woman. Is, uh, a woman of capability, yes, but a woman who is trustworthy. And the reason why she is so trustworthy, the reason why she's so trustworthy is because her husband knows her to be a good woman. Her husband knows her to be a woman who is devoted to him. And he knows that she'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I was I I, I hesitate to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Yesterday we my wife's given me a look. I won't do it. Moving on. I think it was going to be flattering, but 
Verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. One of the things about being a husband and a pastor, it's actually somewhat of a, of a um, regular thing. I, I suppose maybe just in, I don't know if it's just in Baptist circles or not because I've never been outside Baptist circles. But it's a regular thing for, for pastors to use their wives as illustrations and examples. And it's something I uh, greatly despise. And so I do not use my wife as an illustration and as an example. Um, However, she's such a good example of the Proverbs 31 woman that I have just such great stories that I could tell. But I'm not going to go there according to the looks that I see. So, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. But my wife is, if you want a good example of a Proverbs 31 woman, ladies, look toward my wife. A virtuous woman is then described as a woman who goes out to seek wool, to seek flax, or to seek linen. She's busy about the needs of her household. She's finding the material necessary to see that her husband and her children are properly clothed. She's a woman willing to work with her hands. She's not idle. She's not selfish. She is industrious and she is selfless. May I say that again? She is not idle, nor is she selfish. She is industrious and she is selfless. This is very different from the concept of the woman as it's espoused in culture today. The concept of the woman as it's espoused in culture today is the one who's going out with her girlfriends and who's doing those things that are most pertaining to her desires, even perhaps at the expense of her family and their needs. And that is not what the Proverbs 31 woman is. The Proverbs 31 woman is, for lack of a better term, a woman that puts herself in the background and tirelessly seeks to facilitate her husband and family. She is out seeking wool and flax. She's out working willingly with her hands. Her thoughts, her ambitions, and her efforts rest upon the needs of her household. She puts all of her strength behind these needs. Her fulfillment, her joy, her everything is wrapped up in the success of her household. Verse 14. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. The idea here in verse 14 is of a woman who, in direct advancement of her household, goes beyond that which is most convenient to provide that which is best and most advantageous for her family and for the supply of her household. Once again, the idea that she's just not looking at the market across the street from her house for that which her family can eat. She is like merchants' ships. She is going out to find the best for her family, the best prices in order to, to um, be most, um, the best steward of her husband's finances, the best quality in order to give her, her family that which is healthy and that which is right and that which is good for them, that she is a woman who is seeking the advancement of her household, who is seeking the best for her husband, who is seeking the best for her children. This is the Proverbs 31 woman. She thinks ahead. She's prudent in her dealings. Look at verse 15. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. The virtuous woman places the care of her household 
as the very satisfaction of her deepest desires. She sees the needs of her family as paramount in her life, as the very height of her ambition. Her ambition does not rest upon herself. Her ambition does not rest upon how, what she can achieve in her own life. Her ambition rests upon the success of her household. And so the book of Proverbs describes her as a woman who gets up while it is yet night. In other words, she's awake before dawn. And she's awake before dawn because she's got children that are going to be up soon. And she's got a household that's going to get going soon. And there's things that need to get done before that household begins. And so she's awake. And the servants, perhaps, uh, if, if we think about the culture then, there would have been servants in the household. Uh, a woman like this, at least. Uh, a noble woman, as it's described here, would have had servants. Her husband has investments. Her husband has um, great might. She is, would be a noble woman. And so she would wake up and she'd be up with the servants and she'd make sure the servants were doing what they needed to do. And she'd make sure her household is in order so that when the day starts, it starts running properly. This is not a woman that gets up and kind of stumbles out of bed with her pajamas on as her children are munching on their um, Captain Crunch and watching cartoons in the morning and it takes an extra two hours for the household to get started and then things just kind of really barely get going until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then everyone starts to hit their stride and by then it's time to go to bed. And uh, that, that's not the woman described here. The woman described here is industrious. The woman described here is up early making sure her household is ready to be successful and to meet the day with success. The text implies that she's the first awake in the morning in order to designate those portions for the day. Verse 16, She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She makes up for whatever might be lacking in the family and the household through wise investments. This is the picture of the woman who manages property, yet is still looking for those things for her household that would improve the household's overall conditions still looking for those elements that would meet the needs of the household better. Constantly looking for advancement of her family. Advancement of her husband's interests. In this case, the verse seems to imply that the field she buys is a vineyard. And through the fruit of her own efforts, the household adds another venture. If we may place the scenario of this virtuous woman, this one that is being described here in Proverbs 31. She's a woman already of considerable means. Her husband is a man of influence. He's a man that is, we would call him probably a gibor hayil, a mighty man of valor. He's a man that has gone out to war to represent his nation and his family. He's a man who has investments at home. But it would seem as though for all of the land that he owns, for all of the things he has, perhaps he has the cattle and he has the wheat fields and he has the corn fields. But he doesn't have a vineyard. And this virtuous woman, this Isha Hayil, sees an opportunity for a vineyard in her area. And the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so he does not withhold from her his means. She has complete discretion over his finances because he knows that she will not waste them. 
And so she sees this opportunity to buy a vineyard and she buys it. And the fruit of her wisdom and the fruit of her knowledge and her cunning and dealing and even her hard labor and making sure that this vineyard um, gets up and running all plays into the reality that when her husband comes home from battle or when her husband comes home from his journey, he finds his household in better state than when he left. He comes home and he looks at his wife and his children and they are healthy and they're happy and they're clothed and they're fed and the servants are busy and the servants are happy and the household is running well. And he says, hi honey, how was your time while I was gone? She says, it was wonderful. He says, I noticed that some of our servants are over there in that vineyard. She says, yes, I procured that for you while you were gone. It's running great. It's running great. He says, you've done a, you've done a great job, honey. That's wonderful. That's going to be a tremendous investment for us. That's going to be more that we can leave to our children. That's going to be more that we can pass down to the next generation. You've done a very good job. Well done. I see I can trust you. That is the idea of this virtuous woman. Verse 17. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She's a woman of strength both inwardly and outwardly. Her strength is derived from her initiative, her industry, from the fruit of that industry, and from her love for the Lord. The more diligent she is, the more resources she has to improve her household. Her household becomes stronger. She is a woman of strength. She's not a frivolous woman. We talked this morning that the aged women are intended to teach the young women to be Sober, sound-minded is the idea there. Not frivolous, not immature, not silly, not constantly wasting time, industrious, dedicated. Inwardly, outwardly strong. Verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. Similar to the previous concept, the success of the woman in her efforts is her reward. Her success of her family is motivating her to further industry. To the extent that just as we see she rose before night was over, her candle is also burning into the night. She's the first to get up, she's the last to go to bed. Have you ever known anyone like that? Maybe not just a, a wife or a mother, but one of those guys that's the first to come in and the last to leave every day at work. Or one of, maybe it's a father. Maybe it's your father or, or you had a, a family member who you woke up in the morning and they were always already up and moving. And you went to bed at night and they were still busy. And you don't even know where they got their energy from. But they were busy. They were industrious. They were going to get the rest that they needed, but they were busy doing the work. And you never knew what time they went to bed, and you never knew what time they got up in the morning. All you knew is that they were always there when you woke up, and they were always there when you went to bed, and they were still working. And they were still busy. That idea of industry, that is this Proverbs 31 woman. We're going to stop there and apply. Over the course of these two weeks, we'll have five applications. This evening, we're going to cover three of these. 
You'll see all five here. You can write them down. You'll see them again next week. But these are five key points that we can draw from Proverbs 31 as to the virtuous wife. The virtuous wife. Wives in this room, certainly this is for you. Young ladies in this room, this is what you ought to be aspiring unto. Young men in this room, this is what you ought to be looking for in a wife one day should the Lord lead you to pursue marriage. Virtuous wife, first, is a woman who is trustworthy. Ladies, your husband should be able to rely upon you to see that the house is taken care of, to see that his interests are taken care of. He should be able to rely upon you to handle the day-to-day without his constant intervention. When something needs to be done, he should not feel hesitant about delegating it unto you. He should not worry that you're going to hear what he has to say and then just plain not get it done. There's nothing more frustrating to a leader than delegating to someone that he has no trust in. As a pastor, I've experienced this. As a leader down when I worked at the university, I experienced this as well. As a, as a, a leader um, of undergraduates, as a leader in the residence hall I worked in, there was nothing more frustrating than looking at a guy and saying, hey, could you get this done for me? And then just letting it go out of your mind because you've delegated it to someone only to come back a day, two days, three days later and find out it was never done. And now, not only is the thing still needing to get done, but now you've lost so much time in getting it done. Or perhaps it needed to be done in a timely fashion and it didn't get done and now it's too late. You can't even do it anymore. It's, it's the, the opportunity is past. That's so frustrating. And wives, the, one of the characteristics of the Proverbs 31 woman is that the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. Your husband can look at you and can say, Honey, this needs to get done. And it will get done. He doesn't have to second guess whether it's going to get done. He doesn't have to leave his house in the morning wondering how many of the things he asked to get done are still going to be there waiting for him when he gets home to do himself. He's not going to get to the end of the week and say, Wow, I told her on Monday that this needed to get done and this needed to get done and this needed to get done. And here the entire list is still sitting here before me. Nothing got done. And now my weekend is booked. Now, I'm not saying this implying that the husband should treat you as a slave. I'm talking about a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage. You know, one of those marriages where the wife says, Hey, honey, could this get done this week? And and the husband says, Yeah, I'll do that. I've got a little bit of time on this day. I'll get that done. And then the husband looks at his wife and says, Hey, honey, I noticed that this needed to be done and this needed to be done and I've got to get to work. Could you do, do those? And his wife says, Yeah, certainly. I'll make it a priority today because it's something that you need to get done. Or the husband's not even asking. He looks out at his yard and he says, Wow, you know, those leaves are really getting bad. I'm going to have to really take some time this weekend to deal with those leaves. And his wife tucks that away in the back of her mind 
And throughout the day, she finds a little free time and she says, hey kids, let's go take care of those leaves. And dad gets home and he looks at those leaves and they're finished and he says, wow, now I don't have to do that. That's wonderful. I can focus on other things. The heart of the husband safely trusts in the virtuous wife because she is trustworthy. The heart of your husband should safely trust in you when he is at work. He should be able to trust you to go to the store without him. In other words, he shouldn't have to be one of those that feels like he has to go to the store with you because if he doesn't, you're going to come back with more stuff than he could have possibly imagined and now you've spent twice what you should have spent this week on food and it's a bunch of stuff that you really don't need and now he feels like he has to work overtime to compensate for your cravings or whatever it was. That shouldn't be the tenor of your husband. He should be able to trust you to manage the house in his absence. He shouldn't have to wonder the da- what damage control he's going to have to do if he, as, he, as he heads to work. He should be able to trust you to manage the children in his absence. A virtuous wife is not the kind of wife who spends all day doing things that the husband's going to have to undo in his children when he gets home. Typically speaking, I think it would be the other way around uh, in, in, in a manner of speaking that the dad's the one that's like, hey kids, yeah, let's just sit up and eat ice cream and watch TV all night and, and then the, the, the mother has to come in and say, no, 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 we have structure here. But that's, that's okay. We're not preaching to the men tonight. We're preaching to the women. Women, you should not be this way. The heart of your husband should, fa- should safely trust in you because a virtuous wife is a trustworthy wife. Number two, a virtuous wife is a loyal wife. A virtuous wife is a loyal wife. Her loyalties are to her husband and to her family first. This is much of what we talked about in Titus chapter 2 this morning. She's not the kind of woman that bickers and gossips about her husband behind his back. And may I go a step further here? Men, we need to try to be the types of husbands that have nothing that our wives can bicker and gossip about us. We need to be the kind of hard-working men of integrity and love where our women don't have much that they could speak against us. But women, having a husband of high moral character and ability is not one of the qualifications of being a virtuous wife. It wouldn't matter if he was a big bum who didn't have his head screwed on straight The virtuous wife is loyal to her husband. She does not bicker or gossip about her husband. She is not one of those women who as soon as her husband is out of of earshot, she's telling her friends about what a buffoon he is. I thank the Lord for the good reports of the ladies' tea party better than a week ago. And I don't know what some of those neighborhood ladies that came and joined you, I don't know what circles they normally are in. But I would believe, based upon experiences I've heard about in the past, that those ladies may have been somewhat shocked at the conversations that went about during that tea party, or may I say the lack of conversation in regard to certain areas. It's not just stereotype to say that when women get together, they like to bicker and gossip about their husbands. They like to speak ill of their husbands. It is something that can be quite common. A reality in this age. 
It's seen all over the sitcoms, all over the television, all over movies. And it's being reproduced in real life quite regularly and frequently. Women are berating their husbands behind their backs. They're elevating themselves by making their husbands look like buffoons. Makes them feel like a stronger woman, I suppose. Perhaps a better woman than she is. A virtuous woman doesn't do this. It doesn't matter what her husband is like. It doesn't matter if she could say terrible things about her husband and every single one of them would be true. A virtuous wife does not say those things. She's loyal to her husband. She's loyal to her family. She does not participate in the game of cutting her husband down, whether he's present or whether he's absent. In his presence. She doesn't play that game either. Well, yeah, but we're just having fun. She doesn't play that game. Her children don't hear negative things about their father. One of the young girls I drive on the bus, she's got a pretty bad home situation. The first day she was on the bus with us, she said that her father's a bum and she wishes he was dead. She's six years old. Where did she hear those words? I would be willing to wager that she heard those words from her mother. Children ought never hear such things about their father. Ever. Particularly from out of the mouths of their mother. She sees her family as her treasure. She defends them against attack. She doesn't join in in these attacks. And what a shame it is that the husband has become the perpetual wife of the target in this generation. At home, she berates him. When he's away, she speaks against him to others. She highlights his flaws to his children until he shapes up and becomes what she wants him to be. She remains his personal punching bag. She feels like by nagging him and berating him, she is somehow going to elevate him to what she wants him to be. That's what society says you should do. If your husband's not being what he ought to be, then you keep kicking him until he gets up. But that's not what the virtuous wife does. The virtuous wife is one who loves her husband and according to verse 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Yeah, well, sure, pastor, if he's a good enough man. Proverbs 31 doesn't say that. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Notice it doesn't say his life. It says her life. So the bum is now dead and buried. Now it's time for her to start speaking against who he was, right? Now, all the days of her life, she's going to speak well of him. She's going to be loyal to him. What a shame it is that we live in a society where a woman will feverishly defend her favorite soap star or singer or athlete, but will not show loyalty to her own husband. Someone speaks against a TV personality that she finds to be someone 
of particular skill and she'll defend him or her to the death. But somebody speaks against her husband and she'll say, oh, I know. Oh, I know. I'm working on him. He's a work in progress. She would never speak of the idols of our culture the way she speaks of her own husband. This is not a virtuous woman. A virtuous woman is loyal to her husband, to her family, to her household. Third and finally this evening. First, a virtuous wife is trustworthy. Second, a virtuous wife is loyal. Third and finally, a virtuous wife is industrious. A virtuous wife is industrious. A virtuous wife is a busy woman. She thinks ahead. Not just for herself, but she thinks ahead for her family. She works tire, tirelessly for the good of her husband and for the good of her children. And not only does she work for them, but she finds fulfillment in their success. She's not the kind of woman that makes sure that the kids are doing what they need to do, that they're just getting by, and then she goes and pursues her own success story. She goes and pursues her own desires at the expense of her family. Her success is rooted and grounded in her family. That as her husband has the freedom to do what the Lord has called him to do, that as her children grow up to be godly, successful young men and women, she looks at that landscape and she says, that is my success. This is my joy. She does not insist on constant me time demanding a personal life free from the constraints of her family. Now that doesn't mean, ladies, that you can't have free time, that you can't have the time of your own. But that is not the virtuous woman's priority. That is not what she lives and breathes for. Her energies, her faculties, they're devoted to her household. She's not frivolous with her resources. She's careful and prudent. She's not one that goes to the store and says, oh, I don't know how much I spent. I don't know how much anything cost. It really didn't matter. I just threw it in the cart. She cares because she knows her husband works hard for that money. And it matters that she's being frugal so that her husband can have the freedom, can feel the freedom of knowing that his household can be provided for within the means of his efforts and his income. Ladies, when you save money, you're serving your husband. He may not be the best money saver, but if he works for a living, then you can know that in the back of his mind, it's how much money do I need to make to provide for my family? And when he sees that you've come home from a shopping trip and you've done a good job at saving money, he may not say thank you, he may not necessarily even think about it consciously, but there's a a little bit of a weight that's lifted off his shoulders as he realizes that some money was saved today. And that means there's a little bit extra for something else. The virtuous wife is trustworthy. 
The virtuous wife is loyal. The virtuous wife is industrious. As we close this evening, I remind you, ladies, this is not describing a slave. This is describing a woman who has a particular role in society. A role that God has designated for her. And it's a role that if you are a wife and you are a mother in this room, God has, without a doubt, without fail, without exception, given to you as well. There is no married woman who does not have the responsibility to be to her husband and to her family what we have seen today. There is no mother that does not have the responsibility to be to her children what we have seen today. It is the very foundation of what it means to be a wife and a mother. And it is what you stepped into the day you took those marriage vows. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this service, this is not to say that ladies, if you are not all of these things, you are a failure as a wife or you are a failure as a mother, any more than to say that we men, as we looked over last week's expectations upon a father and a husband, are failures as a father and a husband because we're not doing everything that we ought to do on our end of things. But what Proverbs 31 is, is that goal that you should be shooting for. Have you ever had a goal You've placed it on the fridge or maybe you were saving up for something and so you had a big old jar of money and you'd be putting money in there. You're, you're watching as that goal gets closer and closer to being fulfilled. Or you're recording, maybe it's your weights or maybe it's um, um, how much you saved or whatever it is. And as you're recording this, you're seeing yourself getting closer and closer to your goal. Well, Proverbs 31 is the goal. And as you live this life, you're not going to be able to become everything you ought to be all in one day. By God's grace, those of you who are younger ladies, you start today and you'll be in pretty good shape by the time you get married. But this is what we're working toward. This is what we're moving toward. This is what we're driving toward in our marriage, in our family, being this kind of mother, being this kind of wife. And it's not to say you're a failure if you're not everything, but it is to say that you ought to be trying to be what the Scriptures present here as this Isha Chayil, the virtuous woman. So we'll pick up next week with these final two applications in the last half of these verses. But as we close, ladies, you've got Three points to work on this evening to pray about this, this week. How are you doing in these points? Are you a trustworthy wife? Are you a loyal wife? Are you an industrious wife? Let's pray together.